I'm glad for that reminder, what Rob just said, that uh, many of the songs are prayers that we sing, and that really ties right into what we're going to be looking at this morning out of the book of, of Matthew as we continue in our worship series, and we're getting much more specific, meddling, some might say, but it's, it's purposeful and it's good for us. We've talked about preparing ourselves and how to do that before we ever come, and I hope that you were able to do that this morning. I continue to re-examine how we're doing things and thinking, oh, Lord, you know, I could do better in this, and we could do better in this to help us prepare. And then as I was studying for this recently, being convicted about prayer, even in the worship service, this is one thing that as far as the principles, I had down pretty well in my mind. And as I continued to study, thought, oh, well, that, um, this is something that we need to be more careful about. And I was convicted in numerous ways. And even as I was praying today, keeping these principles in mind, because prayer is an important part. Prayer is one of those things in our service that um, Jesus has said should be a part of the worship service. And see, just a minute in Mark, he says that my father's house is what? A house of prayer. And many church services don't include prayer like they used to or as they should. Um, the Lord uh, moved our church to consider a mid-service prayer again during COVID. And we've been doing that more recently. And I think that's good. And I think it's been helpful, even as we look back to maybe having ushers again and having a normal offering. Um, I don't want to get rid of that. Uh, even as we see this morning, prayer should be a central part of the worship, be, worship service, because as we've seen, worship is one of God's central commands to his people. And God is very serious how we should worship him. And we're going to see today, he has expectations for even how we pray and address him corporately in worship. So much so that Jesus gave his followers a model for all prayer and his expectations for corporate prayer as well. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And this won't be the only passage. We'll also be in Matthew chapter 18 in a little bit. But Jesus gives us, his followers, a model for prayer. His followers ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And they weren't saying, give us a rote, um, specific number of words or an incantation of some sort that we just repeat after you. Jesus says after this manner, he makes it clear that this is a model for the individual prayer, but folks, this is a model for the church as well during our corporate prayer. Even during prayer today, I was trying to follow in some form or fashion this model. We'll read it together and give careful consideration to how our prayers should, what they should address and how they should function personally and in our worship service together. Jesus says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this is the King James Version because it's just the Lord's Prayer. And I just I just seem best to use this version for this. It's the one we're most accustomed to. Many times as I use another version, my mind still goes back to this translation. And so I didn't want that distraction for you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, as we hear this model prayer, Jesus giving this to us, as we read this together, we understand that when our Savior, our King, gives us something to pray, a model, that we should model it effectively, that there is so much to pray for, and we should never be at a loss for things to come to you and talk to you about. This makes that clear. Lord, help us to be reminded of our need to pray, and in the second passage in Matthew 18 as well, to be reminded of our need to agree together, to pray corporately, to listen to the prayer that's being prayed, and that when we are together in this type of prayer, that you are with us, and your presence is with us in a marvelous way. Let us sense that, even as we learn more about prayer in worship today. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Prayer and worship is our topic today, giving careful consideration to opportunities for prayer during worship and not allowing them to seem as mere interruptions to the worship service. I'm afraid sometimes that as we get to that mid-service prayer or maybe these other prayers, that if we're not careful, sometimes we can almost think of, you know, how productions many times Long productions, plays, artist series, musicals, whatever, will have an intermission. Unfortunately, in some church services that have a mid-service prayer, some people treat it as the intermission. Okay, just shut off, just take a rest, take a break here, and um, kind of think through some of my own concerns. And, and once the pastor gets done with his prayer between him and God, then we jump back into the rest of the service. Well, no, folks, that prayer is for all of us. It's not an intermission. It's not a time to park our brains at the door. It's not an interruption to the worship service. But Jesus says clearly that God's house should be a house of prayer. Mark eleven seventeen, as he's driving those money changers and those um, men that are not worshiping God in the right way, He says to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. So all the nations should be involved in prayer, in worship as a form of prayer, Jews and Gentiles, but you have made it a den of robbers. Interesting, Jesus is reflecting a worship principle from Isaiah 56. Keep your place in Matthew chapter 6, and let's look at Isaiah 56 just briefly here. This is a principle of worship just to remind us that prayer should be a part of our worship together and was all the way from the Old Testament. God expected his people to be in prayer as they worshiped. Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants— Isn't that interesting that Isaiah points to a time when foreigners would also be involved in worship to God, those that are non-Jews, Gentiles, and we experience that today, and we're thankful that this was God's 
plan from even Old Testament times that we would all join in worship together. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Connecting joy with prayer and worship. We don't often think of it that way. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And that was God's expectation. And when Jesus is dealing with those that are profaning and desecrating the temple worship, he is reminding them of the purity of worship that needs to take place. And that prayer is a central part of that. And as then, as we go back to Matthew chapter 6 and see this pattern that Jesus is giving us for prayer. Jesus' pattern should govern not just individual prayer, but corporate prayer as well. And it should express our devotion. You notice the first two verses express our devotion and um, interaction with God, with our Heavenly Father. The last petitions in that Lord's Prayer, as it's called, verses 11 through 13, express our dependence and our needs, and our dependence upon God for answering those needs, for meeting those needs. And all of this can be done in corporate prayer as well. So verse 9, after this manner, Jesus is making it clear this is a model. It isn't just words, a rote formula to repeat, but you pray in this specific manner in the way that I'm doing this. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Believers get to address God as Father. And this is not disrespectful for us to do this. Again, when Jesus' audience heard these words, they thought they probably thought in their mindset, Jewish mindset, well, that's disrespectful. That's not honoring God because he is too far above us. And there's no way that we can have that close a relationship with him. But Jesus says, no, and this is a command. This is his pattern. If you trust God, if you're a true believer, you have the wonderful privilege of addressing him as father. And we lose that sometimes. We lose the amazing wonder of that, folks, that Jesus is saying here. But we get to address the sovereign creator of the universe. And we get to call him father. Don't ever lose sight of what a remarkable privilege that is that we can come to him with our concerns and our worries and our honor for him, to him as, as a father, as a child coming to him. But as we address him as our father, folks, at the same time, we want to make sure that we're not disrespectful. And that second part there, hallowed be thy name, we address him in reverence, and we address him with the desire that his name will be honored in our worship service and in our prayers, individually and together. We ought to desire that God's name, his very name, would be treated as holy. Um, this idea of of God's name. Remember, we've talked about this recently. 
but that a name was associated with a person's very being, their character in these biblical times. And so when God's name is being honored, his very person is being honored. And we need to pray, Lord, that you would be um, treated as holy as we worship you, treated in reverence, honored for all of your characteristics. Again, we're not adding to that in any way. We can't. But we're recognizing that God is holy publicly for each other and for our world today. Praying that people will see the holiness of God. But what does all this say, even as we begin this together? Doesn't it point out, folks, that our thoughts and our conduct should not be careless, even in our prayers? But that we ought to give careful consideration to, are we reflecting the holiness and the wonder of God that we need to, of our Heavenly Father? Yes, He's our Father but he deserves our reverence and our respect as well. Um, I know that in our culture today, uh, there is a, um, there are different ways and depending even in our country where you live, as far as how you show your respect towards others. I grew up in Michigan and adults were always uh, referred to as Mr. So-and-so. And I was used to that. This is so-and-so. And that was respectful. Got down south. And there was another way many times to address uh, adults. And that was by saying Miss so-and-so and saying their name or Mr. So-and-so and saying their name. Um, so I was kind of used to that. By the time I started ministering in Maryland, though, I wasn't quite expecting that, that same thing. And as um, I started ministering in our youth group together. Many times the teenagers would address other um, leaders and adults as uh, Miss or Mr. So-and-so. I thought, well, okay, that's their way of showing respect. And I appreciate that. Kind of we do that with, with uncle and aunt, aunt, aunt and uncle relationships, Aunt Mary, Uncle Tom or whatever. Okay, I, I get that. That's, that's a nice way to do that. Now that respect for a teacher's name or a, an adult figure in young people's lives that ought to be there. Well, if we can understand that from a standpoint of respect from young people to uh, older, to adults, then folks, we should definitely understand that in regards to our sovereign creator. We ought to be showing respect to his name in our worship services. It just ought to be a natural part of things. And we ought to want to um, portray him as who he is. And so I hope that's our desire as we worship him this morning. Continue on, verse 11. Give us this day, or excuse me, verse 10. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And here we have Jesus calling for us to pray for the kingdom. And interesting, in the Jewish mindset, um, any prayer that did not include a prayer for the kingdom to come was not considered a legitimate prayer at all. This was an expected part of any person's prayer. And so the idea, when we get to verse 10, thy kingdom come, we immediately think, I think most of us do, of praying that Jesus' kingdom will return. And that should be a part of our prayers. Lord, folks, we should want we should desire, especially in this time in world history that we live in, 
for Jesus to come back and make everything right and for there to be justice and for there to be righteousness. We ought to long for that. And certainly that is our prayer. But I think there's another aspect to this as well. As we pray individual and corporately, that we are praying, Lord, help people today to recognize that Jesus will one day return and give submission and obedience and to submit to his kingship today. Even if he doesn't return by the end of this service, Lord, we pray that um, we would give Jesus the right submission and obedience that he deserves. And he goes on to describe that. Thy will be done in heaven and earth as it is in heaven. All we have to do is see a picture in, in scripture of the angels and how they obey and respond to God immediately and give him honor and glory and know that our obedient responses on this earth fall far short, don't they? And yet, there ought to be a desire within us, Lord, one day, I'm looking forward to that day when I will be able to submit and obey you as, there, as you um, enjoy in heaven. But also, I think this uh, points to the fact that one day Jesus' kingdom will come and will produce that submission and obedience without any exceptions. And we look forward to that, too. And so with that, we want to say, Lord, help us to obey well now as well. Help us to be submissive to your moral will, what you want done, what you're clear that you want done in Scripture. Is help us to be obedient to that in our service and as individuals. That expresses our devotion to God. One commentator, um, D.A. Carson, said, it is impossible to pray this first part of this prayer in sincerity without humbly committing to such a course. You can't be sincere if you're not committed to the honor, the submission, and obedience that you're praying in this first part of the prayer. We need to be committed to that. But corporate prayer should also express our dependence. This is the part we normally focus on. What about my needs? What about the things that I need to have done in my life? Well, Jesus doesn't leave those out, but we need to have dependence on him as we're praying. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread is representative of all of our physical needs. But notice it doesn't just say your daily bread. It says our daily bread. And we ought to be praying for the needs of others as well, not only ourselves, as we pray together. Even this morning as we prayed, we prayed for a number of folks that we want to see God answer to prayer in their lives, not just ourselves. Certainly, we're, God wants us to bring our needs before him, but don't forget others' needs as well. Make sure we include them. And then forgive us our debts. And by the way, the give us that day our daily bread really focuses on all of our physical needs that we pray for. And then he gets into sin, into debts here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I've said this before because we've covered this uh, in the past couple of years. This doesn't refer to, to financial debt or credit card debt or anything like that. What types of debts is Jesus referring to here? He's referring to sin debt. As Jesus forgives us our sin debt, and this automatically expects that we have a repentant spirit that is ready, Jesus would very soon, or as we're going to see in our study of the gospel of John tonight, 
he would very soon offer up sacrifice of his own body, shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins, that we could be declared righteous. But we also have to come before the Lord to keep our relationship with him and ask for forgiveness of sin, repent of our sins. And as we do that, and as we experience his forgiveness of our sin debt, that also ought to motivate us when we realize truly how much Jesus has forgiven us, then we're motivated. Help me forgive others, Lord. Really, a lot of the anger and the bitterness and a lot of the struggles that people have today really stem back to their lack or lack of willingness to forgive other people. And this is an important thing to pray for. Help us to be as forgiving as Jesus is forgiving to us. And lead us not into temptation. We know from reading James that Jesus can't be referring to God leading us into temptation because he says God does not tempt us, right, with sin. So this can't refer to that. But this very word can also refer to times of testing. I believe better. Lord, yes, certainly uh, keep us from falling into temptation. That's a part of this. But lead us not into, into temptation, I think, also has the idea of, Lord, give us strength for times of testing that you allow into our lives. And I think this also refers to strength to endure. But it's, but it's certainly acceptable to say, Lord, spare us from times of severe testing that will be overwhelming to us. We can pray for that, folks. And God in his mercy, sometimes he will allow those testings. And he will do that for the purpose that Peter talks about in his epistles, to help strengthen us. But Jesus says here, it's also acceptable for us to pray, Lord, please keep us from testing times that are too overwhelming for us. We're only... We're only flesh. We're weak. Protect us, Lord. And then deliver us from evil. And really in context here, this is best referred to as Satan himself, the evil one. To ask protection from the devices of Satan in our lives. Lord, protect us from him. Then um, that offer of praise uh, at the end of that prayer. And as we as we hear Jesus' pattern here, doesn't it remind us that there is so much more to prayer than just bringing our needs to God? Certainly, we're supposed to do that. So many times, folks, we forget about all these other things that the Lord wants us. And the priority of our prayers, do you notice, that Jesus is modeling here, is for us to ask God to help us to honor him well and give us power to serve him well. Let's pray that first, and then move into our needs. And our corporate prayer as well should be modeled after this example. And so this, again, at the end of this prayer, we have this focus on worship, offering worship to God, even in prayer. That's Jesus' pattern in prayer that's important, even in a corporate setting. But the second part of this turned to Matthew 18, two more verses, 19 through 20. Jesus' presence is promised in corporate prayer. Jesus' pattern should govern our corporate prayer. 
the flip and the wonderful blessing of this is that Jesus promises his presence as we pray together in a special way. We'll see here. But he has an expectation in verse 19 that corporate prayer should be in agreement. By the way, how many people does it take to represent corporate prayer? How many people do you need to have a group prayer? Well, Jesus makes it clear here. Even two, two people are praying together corporately and can experience this presence of God and his response as well. Even two, but the qualification is that those two need to be in agreement as they pray. If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That word for agree is a wonderful word, interesting word. It's symphoneto. Maybe that reminds you of a word in our English today. It means to be of one mind, to sound together, to be in harmony, unison, to be of the same quality. And yes, it is where we get our English word symphony today. Now, if any of you have been to a wonderful, a beautiful symphony, you know that there's got to be unity and harmony and um, unison together to get a good quality. We don't normally think of that when we think of prayer. But Jesus uses this word for prayer as well. well what does this mean? Why would he do that? Let's ask it this way. Well, if we're supposed to be in unison, in harmony together, what is our response and responsibility while the leader is praying during a leader-led prayer? And that would go for any prayer that's done during the worship service. So it's not just the pastor. Yes, I was feeling the um, responsibility to pray well, but this also includes anybody that gets up here and prays. You are leading our prayer time. And we need to take that responsibility seriously. But is everybody else just okay then to, while a person is praying, to take a mental pause and break until the pastor gets done talking to God? No, that's not what we have here at all. Do I, how about this? Do I pray my own prayer while pastor is praying since we're supposed to be praying together? Well, it doesn't help for us to be able to agree together in prayer if you're not listening to the prayer that the leader is leading. So obviously it can't be that. That would be disunity, right? Not that that's wrong to pray. And we have kind of that situation uh, during Wednesday night prayer. We have different groups around and different people are praying. And that can be sometimes a little distracting. We try to, to keep that from happening. But even that, that's not what Jesus is referring to here. But the expectation is that while the person is praying, that we're listening. And here, here, here is what puts the pressure, if I can put it this way, on the person that's praying. The people that are listening are listening, and they're asking themselves, are we able to agree with what's being prayed? That's important. And if we're all agreed on the principles and the expectations of God and his word, then that makes it easier because we all become unified together in prayer. But we're listening. We're taking careful note. Do I agree 
I need to be able to agree. And yes, as he's praying, then I say to God, Lord, I agree with what our leader is praying. I agree, and I'm in unison, and I'm in harmony, like that sympathy, symphony, not sympathy. Let's try that again. But I agree in unison, like that symphony. And as a symphony, then, we are praying to God in agreement together with what the leader is praying. Let's be honest, we don't often think about that while the person's praying. Sometimes that may be a time for us to get maybe a few extra, a little bit of rest. I don't know if you've ever heard, I've I've certainly had the experience uh, where I've been sitting next to someone in a particular service where the pastor tends to pray a little, little long and you hear the soft snore of somebody who obviously next to you, now that I'm not giving myself away, I'm sure that sooner or later I I probably have committed that offense myself. But I remember some somebody next to me just starting to doze off and snore. And obviously they were tired, but they weren't obeying the expectation that God has for us in prayer. None of us do when we fall prey to that. This is a responsibility on the one who's praying. Not just to say whatever comes to mind, but make sure what I'm praying to God is a biblical. Because I don't certainly don't want the folks that are listening to me to not be able to agree with something because I've prayed something unbiblical. That's important. But at the same time, a responsibility to the one that's listening. Why is this important? Because as we agree as a church body in prayer, God will respond to that prayer. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. It's a promise that he will respond. Jesus is describing a prayer in unison together that is in unison as well with the expectations of his word, as I've just said. God will answer those prayers. And that ought to give us encouragement that as we pray together, we have the promise, God will hear us. God will answer as we pray again with the expectations of his word. This isn't a situation where a number of us agree, hey, we want something specifically. So if I can get enough people to agree that I need something and to pray for that, then God's going to answer that. No, you've missed the point. The point is that we're praying together in unison in harmony with God's word. God will respond. So corporate prayer should be an agreement, and corporate prayer should be habitual. It should be a regular part of our service because we want Jesus' presence among us. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And we want that experience every time we come to worship God together. And so prayer needs to be a regular part of the worship service. Many times in churches today, it's been left behind. It's part of a tradition that's not included anymore because it may seem boring or it may seem to slow the pace of the service. But folks, it shouldn't be left behind as a tiring old relic. Oh, the pastor's prayer. Oh, that, that, that just will turn people off and, and they won't be with us during the worship and, and they, the flow of the worship will be interrupted. No, it's part of the worship flow. It's biblical. And that's why we do this. That's why we have multiple times of prayer. And Jesus then says there is a special, and this really does seem to refer to a special representation of his presence 
Not that when we don't pray privately that Jesus isn't there as well. He is. But in some um, unique way, when we pray together, Jesus says, I have a special sense or representation of my presence. Maybe it's the idea here of he supports. As we pray in unity and agreement together, Jesus supports our prayer and we can sense his presence. Do we see the need then to be careful in our prayer, to give it the importance that it deserves, that God says it deserves? Many times when it comes to prayer in the service, it's the maybe the boring aspect or um, the, the time that we give the least attention to. And I hope that this this morning encourages us. Every aspect of the worship service is important, and we ought to give it the importance that it deserves. Agree together in prayer. Our worship services should be services of unity and praise. We mentioned that there's many of the songs that we sing our prayers, but also in our prayers. And our unity in corporate prayer allows for Jesus' presence and God's response. Do we want that? Do we want God's presence and uh, God's response in our worship service? I hope we do. Then we need to pray together in unity and agree. And it pleases God when we do this. Jesus was not pleased with the money changers. Something I remember Pastor Reamers pointing out. When the money changers turned the purpose of temple worship upside down, Jesus turned their worship practices upside down in the temple. And he said, my father's house is a house of prayer. And you are desecrating it. And folks, we certainly don't want to be accused of desecrating worship during the prayer time. And don't miss out. We don't want to miss out on the blessings that God gives us corporately when we agree together in prayer. Special blessings that he says will be a part of that. When we let our minds wander, we will in actuality wander away from the corporate blessing that God is giving the church. And we don't even realize that. You don't want that. You want God's blessing in our service and his blessing for you. So pay attention. And enjoy God's blessings, his answer to prayer, and his presence in our worship services as we pray together. Father, this is an aspect that many times is overlooked. And Father, this was convicting for me as I studied this, a reminder of the need to not just check out during certain aspects of the service, to not consider them an intermission, but all aspects of what we do, singing, prayer giving, and also hearing, listening to your word being taught and being preached. All of these are important as aspects of worship that we must not neglect. Lord, we may have been ignorant to this expectation in the past. Help us now again to go forward, to be ready to prepare ourselves beforehand in worship. And as we pray together, that it will take on new significance and new meaning as we expect your presence, the presence of Jesus and his support among us. 
and also the, the um, sense that you are listening and that you will answer in your good timing to our petitions and requests. Where we've had many um, requests and things that we've asked you for, even in this service. We look forward to seeing how you're going to answer them. Help us to take worship seriously and honor you in the way that you have prescribed and enjoy the blessings of that as well. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.